Now, I don't like to be called out. I don't think any of us like to be called out, especially if my fly is down. (laughs) And it happens from time to time. I have to be in front of people and someone will say some kind of like super cryptic euphemism like X, Y, Z. And I'll have to be like, are they ending the alphabet? What's going on? And think about it. But there are over 350 euphemisms in the English language for having a fly down. <laughs> Here are some of them. <laughs> Barn door open. <laughs> You're unzipped. Zipper up. One o'clock. One o'clock at the button factory. <laughs> Stable door is open. It's two o'clock. I wonder if that's like a community that's really close and they're like one o'clock in this town and the next town. Oh, it's a two o'clock town. We don't want to go there. Gates open. And then like a a straightforward one, zip up your pants. One of the reasons why I appreciate wearing a robe is I don't have to think about that. I put on my robe and I'm like, all right, we're good. Covered up. The call of Moses is not the same call as this. But it is similar in a very important way. And that change is necessary. Change is necessary. When someone calls you out, or oftentimes when I'm wearing a robe, it will be like, my call will be like this. Oh, I just need that. Don't worry. Someone will come up behind me and be very nice and sweet. You are all wonderful. I think every single person in this room has done that to me before. So it's okay. Um, but that kind of thing. It's good. Change is necessary. It's good. But um, when, when God calls me, when God calls you, when God calls Moses, a change occurs to place us deeper into God's purpose in this world. Many of us use the language of vocation. Schools are called vocational schools, schools that are separate from, from professional schools. You go to vocational training to be a plumber, an electrician. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means call. It's a calling. It's a word deeply embedded in the Christian tradition. In order to be ordained in a church, pastors have to be called, and you have to to tell your story, your call story, over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, Teresa, but... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Again and again, they feel like, I've told all of you this story before. Why do I have to say it again? But you do. You have to say it over and over again throughout the process. God called me. That's a very powerful thing, a mystical thing. Usually it's framed around a moment of time. Usually when we tell a story, we want to tell a discrete moment of time. But that is not how God really works. The call of God is not on this one instant but a lifetime. And we see these moments like in Exodus 3, like in the power of the burning bush. We see these moments like by the seashore with Peter and John and James in this momentary call, but there was so much that happened before. You may not be called to ordained ministry, or you may, you better watch out. (laughs) But you are called to walk Humbly with your God, you are called to love justice and seek mercy, as the prophet Micah says. You are called to live a life of total love, as the apostle Paul says. You are called to mourn with those who mourn, as Jesus says. You are called to speak out against injustice. You are called to purpose. But that calling is not just a moment. 
One of the aspects of the life of faith is that calling is not an isolated thing, but a lifelong thing. My friends, we are continuing our series on the book of Exodus, on this foundational story of faith. The story of how our God hears our cries. Our God calls us out. Our God breaks our chains and our God sets us free. Last week we spoke about how God hears the cry of the people in Egypt. Today we are looking at how God calls us out by looking at how God calls Moses out. When God calls us out, the change is a little more dramatic than zipping up our fly. It's okay to laugh. God calls us out from a life of living for ourselves. See, that's the other part where it's connected. That, you know, just bear with me with this awkward metaphor. But when you're walking around with your fly down, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. That's at least for me. When I do that, I'm not, I'm not paying attention. And so often when God calls us out, it's because we weren't pay, paying attention to what God had in store for us. We were off either tending the sheep or doing something else or kind of lost in the clouds. And God hits us with something amazing and points out to us, you are made for more than this. God calls us out from a life of seeing goodness and holiness and justice as a, as a pastime or a hobby or something we do one or twi- one or twi- once or twice a week and then can go back to just living for ourselves the rest of the week. God calls us out from that. The life with God is a central possibility for all of us thanks to grace, not because we are so amazing, but because God is so amazing. And we see this in the story of Moses. And so if you have your Bible with you, if you have your phone, you can put out your phone. Please don't like, just be texting neighbors. But, um, but it's good to follow along because we're going to go through this text. And it's really, there's a lot. It's been, probably been a while since you've read it, unless you're reading the Bible with us. That'd be great. But Exodus chapter 1, if you go to the end of Exodus chapter 1, it ends with this strange phrase where they name these two midwives, which is, it's a curious um, but, but powerful moment where they name the midwives um, of the Hebrew people. And Pharaoh says that, I want you to kill all the male babies. And they don't. It's amazing. They don't. These powerful women who deny Pharaoh. And, and the Hebrew people are fruitful and multiply, multiply. And then we get to chapter 2. And it starts with a Levite man and a Levite woman who marry and have a child. And they don't want their child, their son, to float to die, to be killed, as all the other ones do. So they put him in a basket and float him down the river. The word for basket there is the same word that's used for ark in Genesis earlier. They put him in an ark, a place of life. <laughs> it's good. Someone opened their Bible. That's awesome. We have evidence. At least one of you is following along with me. <laughs> And so they, they, put him, they put him in the basket and he floats along, floats along the river Nile and his sister follows along. And then the person he discovers is, is Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and the sister comes out and says, I know a perfect wet nurse for him and brings him back to his mom. And then a few years later, he goes back. And so, but if you think about the movie like the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt or another Moses movie, they embed like two thirds of the movie in these three verses. <laughs> There's a lot of speculation that goes into it. 
So I want to add this, this drama and intrigue, this tension between Pharaoh and Moses that the text really doesn't have. It doesn't seem like they knew, that, knew each other that well, but it is true that Moses was raised as an Egyptian, yet he still remembered who he was. A little later, it says that he went out to see his people. Moses knew he was a Hebrew. He went out to see his people. He never forgot. He went out to see his people, and he sees that they are being whipped. He sees that they are in slavery. And Moses responds to injustice. He has already been shaped in a way that he sees that this is wrong. And he responds to injustice by attacking the taskmaster. And he's banished for this, and he's persecuted for this, and he runs away. And then five verses later, he responds to injustice again. Usually the story of how Moses meets his wife is this kind of lovely pastoral, oh, look at this lovely well, it's so beautiful. Oh, he's helping a poor woman at a well. Um, But that's not what the text says. The text says Midian's seven daughters are at the well, and some other shepherds come to push them out, come to take them over. And Moses stands up for them. Moses sees an injustice, and he acts, and he protects the people. And then he is welcomed, and he is blessed. All of this is the context for Moses' call. After this, we get to chapter 3, the reading we did earlier, the story of the burning bush, this powerful image of God speaking to us in ways that are amazing. Yet what is often missed, or I didn't even notice until this week, is that there's only one burning bush. I think this is an important thing to note. God doesn't continue to use this method of communication. (laughs) And yet so often we expect God to speak in a way that looks like this. We think that God only communicates in these certain ways, whereas God communicates in so many ways throughout the scriptures. Over and over again, we see God communicating not in ways that are, that are the same, but in ways in which to be heard. The burning bush is a way that Moses can hear God. The God of all creation speaks to us so that we can hear. And God speaks to Moses in this way, but the call did not begin at the burning bush. The call did not begin even when he was put into the basket as a child. The call of God on your life did not begin the first day you entered a church. The call of God in your life did not begin the first time you heard about Christianity. The call of God began before you were even born. In the Methodist Church, we call this provenient grace, the grace that comes before. The fact that you are loved before you can respond to love. You are forgiven before you can respond to mercy. You are special and a beloved child of God. You have meaning and purpose in this world, apart from your abilities. And God has called you to a life of total love. There's a lot that is going to happen to Moses, the rest of this story. There's a lot that is going to be asked of him, but it begins here. It begins in this special space that is set apart, a physical space. A physical space so that he now has a life set apart. He takes off his shoes. This ground is not the same as the ground you were used to. How can we put ourselves into positions 
and places to hear God more in our life? How can we set apart our lives for God? One thing we may need to do is to take off our shoes, even if they're stinky. We need to take off our shoes and find a space that is holy, that is set apart, and to go there, to be open not only to go, but to listen to whatever call God has for us. Whatever call God has for you. We are never too old for a call of God in our life. It's not that suddenly we, we qualify for social security and God no longer calls us. That's not how it works. We're never too young for a call of God on our life. God doesn't wait until we're on the kindergarten rolls in order to call us. God called Abraham when he was in his 90s. God called Jeremiah when he was a small child. God called Mary when she was probably only 12. A call is about a person, a place, and a purpose. It is not, my call is not your call. So often, again, we think the burning bush is the way God communicates to us. So often, we think the call of the people in our lives must be the same as ours. Or maybe God just doesn't have something special for us. When that's not the case at all. God has a special life in store for each of us. A call is about a person, a place, and a purpose. We are physical, material beings created by God. We are not just spirits floating around. We have matter, and where we are matters. Who we are matters to God. Again, my call is not your call. As Frederick Buechner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Yours, not mine. We are called for different tasks in this world in building the kingdom of God. Before anything, we need to remember that we are loved and God may have something great to ask of us. It will not be our neighbor's call because we are each uniquely, beautifully made. As well, a call has a place because we are physical creatures. We occupy space with our bodies, and so the spaces we occupy matter. The spaces we are in, in affect us deeply. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not a lie that sometimes you walk into a room, and if it's really dark, you kind of feel down. You walk into a room, and it's really bright, and you feel up a little bit. You go outside, and it's sunny, and it's a different Day, then when you go outside and it looks like this, and you're like, oh my gosh, is there a way I can cancel everything? <laughs> and that's true, that it affects where we are, affects our mood, affects our spirit, affects how receptive we are in this world. There are certain spaces where we are more open to love, there are certain spaces where we are more open to God speaking to us. One thing that we as individuals or we as a church need to do is find opportunities to be in those spaces. Bless you. How can we be in a space to hear God? It may be the sanctuary. Sanctuary designed to be that space. Sanctuary designed to be holy, to have the marks of holiness, to have a cross, to have the windows, to have the natural light, to have the beams that kind of remind us of a boat. It's a weird church architecture thing, but it's kind of cool. Being in sanctuaries, it may be outside, it may be on a neighborhood walk, it may be at a coffee shop, it may be at your place of employment, it may be at your grandchildren's house. Where are the spaces in your life where you are more open 
to God calling you? Where are the spaces where you are more open to hearing the cries of your neighbors? How can we as a church be in those places? Moses needed the burning bush in order to hear God. Where do you need to be to hear God in your life? What do you need to do to hear God in your life? Who is someone who can speak God's word for you? Finally, a call is a purpose. A call is a transitive thing. You are called for something. God called Moses because Moses was going to be the vessel through which freedom came. You have a purpose that God has for you. And it doesn't mean you need to sell everything like the rich young ruler, but it may. And it doesn't mean you need to lay down your nets like the first disciples and quit your job and do something else, but it may. No matter what, a call is going to mean change. And so often we like to bracket off certain aspects of our life from the power of the Holy Spirit, thinking, now God isn't going to ask me to do something like that, is he? Gosh, I wouldn't want to do that. So God doesn't want me to do that. When in fact, what God does is transform our desires. God transforms our desires from thinking that the only thing we need to concern ourselves is how to satisfy ourselves to seeing the world as God sees it, to crying as God cries out, to taking joy as God takes joy. If we needed to stay in the same place with the same purpose for our life, we would not need God. God meets us where we are, but God does not let us stay there. God met Moses where he was at that burning bush. God met Moses right where he was. And he took off his shoes. And then he sent him to Egypt. God did not let Moses stay where he was and say like, okay, Moses, you're awesome. Now go be a shepherd for the rest of your life. That's not what he said. But God met him where he was. God met him in a way that Moses could hear and then transformed his life. It made him a vessel to transform a whole nation. Next week, we're going to look at how God reassures Moses Because when we are sent and when we are called, we need a lot of reassurance. I know I did in this whole vocation and ministry thing. I have needed a lot of reassurance. I continue to need a lot of reassurance. The United Methodist Church is going through a challenging period over the next few weeks. I will need a lot of reassurance. Um, I think all of us will. But God gives us that. When God sends us on a path, God does not leave us behind. God assures us. God sends people with us. God puts us in places to succeed. It's like the, the, the disciples on the sea. The disciples on the sea. They've been fishing all night long. And it seemed like they've been wasting their time. But Jesus said, just do it a little bit more. So often, I mean, my call journey was 12 years. About eight of those years seemed worthless. But God, through different people, said, Wilson, just a little bit more. There's a little bit more and it will bear fruit. Some of us know what we are called to, but maybe it feels like the seas are dry. Maybe it feels like the fish are not biting. Maybe we need just a little encouragement. Just a little bit more. But for today, let us remember that each of us may be called by God. God loves us so much that we each have a purpose in this present kingdom of God. We are not just given a get-out-of-jail-free card. We are given a purpose in this world. To share love now. 
Our purpose is not just in our future. Our purpose is not just in our past. It is here and now. Our purpose is being beacons of justice like Moses. Our purpose is being agents of mercy. Our purpose is being people of love and peace. May God show you what that looks like in your life. May you share with one another. May you talk with one another. May you seek out God. May you seek out the places where you're receptive to God. May God show us as a church what that looks like. Together, may we take off our shoes. Together, may we lay down our nets. Together, may we follow God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.